When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I couldn't walk to my car without being called a fag and someone trying to like open my car door to try and pull me out of it. I was so fearful because I was so protective of my family and so protective of what others may think about that specific thing. Right now you come across as gay, so we're going to have to fix that because nobody wants to fuck the gay guy they want to shop with him. Welcome back to Redefine You, a conversation for well-being, where we have open and honest conversations. As one shares their vulnerability in such a way, we're encouraged to look within. Redefine You is meant to inspire you to look within and guide you to lead a life being grounded in you. I'm so excited to talk to our guest today. He is an actor, singer, producer, and a dear friend. You may know him from his leading roles in Teen Beach Movie and Teen Beach Movie 2, or from his memorable performance as Link in NBC's Hairspray Live. He's also one of the founding members of Pride House LA, which is working to create a safe space online for the LGBT QIA plus community. Welcome to the show, Garrett Clayton. Hi, baby. Hi, honey. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. It's so good to see your face and to hear your voice. I know. I feel like we've just been on totally different travel schedules for the last couple of years, but I'm so happy to just see you. You look amazing and you sound so just, mwah, hi. I you, you look amazing. So as I start every single episode, I ask my guests, if you were to check in with yourself right here, right now, what would you find? What would I find? What would I find? I'd find, you know, I feel like at the core, I'm still the same person and I have a lot of struggles that I've dealt with most of my life. But the place I'm at now is I feel really happy and secure and like ready for this next phase of my life. And I feel like I'm in a really positive environment surrounded by a lot of love and a lot of support. And although there's all those like core uh, insecurities that we, I think just as people deal with, it's um, it's a lot easier to navigate them because I feel like I'm in a place in my life where I have the tools to even if it, it even if those issues are resonating in my head, I'm like this, mm-hmm. I'm invalidating them on my own, just saying like it's okay for that to not matter. It's okay to like feel this feeling and let it move through me and let it move on if anything is upsetting. Yeah, and I think that it's taken you and even myself a long time to get there, right? It it takes time. It takes practice. And for you, I'm curious to jump into your toolbox at some point in this conversation, but I do need to start. And I just want to start with saying, hi, haven't seen you in so many years, but I I know that I've always been such a big supporter of everything that you've done and created and just the love that you've shown professionally and personally. I want to dive in a little bit about your upbringing. So let's Mm -hmm. start there. You obviously were grew up and born in Dearborn, Michigan. What was that like for you? Well, it it was interesting. My growing up, I always kind of it's funny. I, when people ask me where I'm from, I tell them I'm a little bit of a nomad because before I was four, I lived in five States and then wow. my family went back to Michigan and my parents divorced. And then I spent the next 11 years going to their houses 
every other week. And so my dad lived in Redford off five mile in Inkster and my mom was in Canton. Um, and, and it was just like the duality of like, even the, the interesting part of Detroit. And I always think it's really similar in LA where the, you know, the different little pods of neighborhoods, like you'll get yeah, a yeah. completely different energy and you'll get a different community. And it really does within this, when, within both of these big cities, it really is like, if you're going from Van Nuys to the arts district of NoHo or even Valley village, like all those places are just so different, but they're all within a 10 mile radius. And that kind of felt like I was really trying to navigate how to live. It felt like I was living completely different lives until I was like mm-hmm. 15, 16 years old. Wow. What was that like for you then was for your self-worth and growth within your own sense of self? Um, it's probably the reason I'm an actor, <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> but it, it was, it was difficult at first, I think, cause, um, my mom was so, so just like my champion in life. And then I think, cause I didn't really have a large gay community where I was growing up and mm. a lot of people didn't really know what to do with me. And so I would deal with like, I, I always kind of called her, um, my evil stepmother, um, cause my, uh, my biological father isn't with her anymore, but she mm-hmm. did a lot of damage to even our relationship. And so that was really strained. And my stepdad didn't really at first understand kind of what to do with me. Cause he had his own son. And I remember at my graduation party and at first I was offended. And then it really like sunk in about what a big step this was for him to say. And I remember at my graduation, he said, um, he pulled me aside and he was like, I just want to let you know, I'm so proud of you. And when you were growing up, I, I always wished you were more like your brother, but mm-hmm. now I wish that he was more like you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know that that was really hard for him because I, you know, like that's, that was his blood related son. And that's a really intense thing to say to somebody that maybe it was hard. You didn't understand them growing up. And, but really, truly like now he is like my, he's my dad and he has been there and he's, he calls all the time and is like, are you stressed? How are you feeling? Are you, know, is everything okay with the wedding and how are you and Blake doing? And so it really is, um, it was really interesting growing up in that kind of environment, not really understanding myself, but knowing that I, I always tell everybody, if you have one person in your life who can fight for you, they can change it. They can change everything for you. And my mom really did that for me. You know, you obviously talk about having divorced parents and living in two different places and growing up and just trying to navigate that. I mean, for myself, I come from divorced parents. I mean, a, a little bit later in life, I would say. When did your parents, how old were you when your parents got divorced? Four. Okay. I was 14. Yeah. And um, they also changed. I mean, we also, my, like my mom moved in the middle and I think I went to like four different schools around the city just growing up. So I would get it. I get some friends and then I'd move to a new school. I'd get some friends and I moved to a new school or doing every other week. It was like, how are you going to make plans as a kid? When, when these kids, parents, like everybody, I always think this is wild. Whenever I would move, any of my closest friends, their parents would get weird that I was moving 15 minutes away. Like they didn't have a freaking car. And so I, <laughs> I was leaving, my mom was moving to a new place and my best friend at the time, his mom pulled mine aside and she was like, it's such a shame that you're leaving and you're going so far away. My mom was like, it's 15 minutes down the road. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and so all the, I mean, people's perception of, of, of distance is so cockeyed. I don't, Anyway, that was a large reason why you feel I felt like so you, nomadic. You, you tried to like reinvent yourself every new school that you would go to in every new environment? Or do you feel like you were trying to be truer to yourself in all the new environments that you went into? I think at first, 
when you're younger and you're unaware of social construct, you're not really trying to be anything but happy. Mm. But I realized probably through elementary years that that was getting me into, into fights because people are scared of the unfamiliar. And I didn't know that people thought I was different when I was growing up. And I didn't realize that's what was, what was making them mad because Mm -hmm. I was very like, I was a kid who was pretty comfortable with himself. And then when I saw the way people treated me because of being comfortable, that's what made me uncomfortable. And then that was the thing that when I was going to new schools, I was suddenly trying to fit into this thing that didn't exist because I saw that it would it made things easier and people wouldn't try and fight me anymore. Cause I got into people probably don't, you know, they, I'm sure people will laugh and be like, he didn't do that. But I got into a lot of fights in school because people were very, I don't, whether it was threatened or they thought I was an easy target or that I, you know, there was no consequences because they had stronger ties to the community around them. Like whatever it was, they, I, I got into a lot of fights, whether it was people trying to, I mean, I, I couldn't walk to my car without being called a fag and someone trying to like open my car door to try and pull me out of it or being at a football game and then getting into a fight because somebody thought, Hey, let's beat up this guy that ever, you know, we all make fun of for being gay. And then luckily I won the fights because they didn't know that I had taken boxing and karate, mm-hmm. but I, but that's the thing when you take those is, is like, it's all about like, I, I do everything I can to not hurt somebody with these tools. It's important for me to know that I can defend myself. And so I never really felt like I had anything to prove. Well, I mean, let's start there. I mean, I think it's one of the things of like, you were always authentically connected to yourself. I know that you've talked about you coming out actually to your mom at 16. What was that like for you? It was kind of funny because I was nervous. I was scared to tell her because she had just done that, like that really awkward talk where like a parent holds up a pillow and they're like on a woman's body this is the lower half of the body and I'm like don't you have this fucking conversation right now no and so it was probably a couple months after that that I was like I really I I gotta sit my mom down (laughs) and um so I was like I remember saying mom I have to tell you something and so she sat sat us down and she was like are you okay and I was like yeah of course she said what okay so I'm like mom and it took me a while and I said I'm gay And she was like, yeah, I know. And I was like, okay, but how do you feel about that? She said, I'm your mother. Of course I know. Do you still want to go to the movies or not? Like it was literally, that was it. I had a completely different experience with other family members, but that was really the easiest coming out to that. And like I say, she has always been my champion. If anyone would ever do anything, or if I was ever scared, or if I ever felt vulnerable and I didn't know what to do, like, my mom was the, my champion. She championed my dream. She worked overtime just so we could afford money to get on a Greyhound. And I would do my homework on the buses going to Chicago to audition. I remember like she, she was like, I'm here doing what I'm doing because of her. Well, I think a lot of what I hear as well is like, she understood that coping through creativity was your tool back then to be able to get through high school and to be able to navigate when was the right time for you to come out in a public setting to people that you felt you didn't have to be able to explain yourself to. And I think that that's the thing is like, it's, it's your story. It's your path. It's your journey. I 
I don't know what your relationship is like with your dad and your other parts of your family, but how did that sort of inflict on growing up into your teens and then going off to college and so forth? Um, I remember it was probably a few months after my mom. I, I mean, I'm not condoning underage drinking. I just kind of preface this, but, um, when it's 4th of July and you're in Michigan and you're 16 and your family, or, you know, your family likes to party, you're probably going to find some booze. And I did. <laughs> and so, um, I was drunk and I was sitting with one of my dad's friends and do you, I don't think you have these in California, but like, if you're on driving in a neighborhood road, there's like these little ditches on the side in case somebody like swerves off so that you don't yeah, run yeah. into a house. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Got yeah. you. So I'm sitting in one of those and I'm like kind of crying and talking to his friend. Uh, and she's like, you should tell him you should tell. And mind you, I'm like, am I, if I was sober, I would have been like, of course, you're not going to tell him. Why would you tell him this? Why'd you tell him it's 4th of July. You're wasted. This is not a good idea. Um, but I did. And so I was like sobbing and I'm like, I'm gay and I'm sorry. And my dad was in such shock. And he was like, it's okay. Like he didn't know how to handle it. And then all of, he really pent up all those feelings. And I remember it was my first movie I did when I was, uh, maybe I came out to my, no, I, I guess I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wrapping my first movie, you know, how those shoots go where like things will take way longer because it's the last day and they're trying to get everything they didn't get. And he'd been waiting in the car for an hour and a half. So he was boiling cause he doesn't do well with that kind of thing. Um, and he, and he basically texted me and said like, I'm going to rip you out of that studio if you don't get your fucking ass in the car. So I get in the car and then he unloads everything about how he wishes that I, he, I never told him and how he doesn't know what to do with me. And we ended up in this big screaming match. And then a few months later, he moved to Florida with my, uh, with my soon to be stepmother and my little sister. And then we'd kind of, uh, he had a, a lot of issues for a while and would call and say and do things that were really hurtful. So I removed myself from that situation. I said, I don't yeah. think I can have you in my life anymore because you're punishing me for things that are about me and I don't want to feel bad anymore because of you. Mm-mm. And my stepbrother who I, I mean, we've been, we were in each other's lives since we were four. So we've always just called each other a uh, brother. And so my brother ended up having um, a sorrowful reaction. Like he just started sobbing when I told him and I was like, I thought this one was going to be easy. And mm he's like crying and I'm like, are you okay? Cause I'm okay with this. Like I'm, I'm going to be okay. And he was like, yeah, I just, and he, and now we don't speak because he doesn't believe I have a right to, uh, to get married. And it was all because of Facebook, which is so annoying, but whatever. Ugh. well, I, uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it's their loss because it's a part the of the path. Day, yeah, but I'm saying it's their loss because at the end of the day, you're fucking phenomenal. Sorry for language, guys, but you're fucking phenomenal. And I love you. I want to, but I'm curious actually, because you obviously just tapped into saying that that was your first movie set, your dad was outside. Was that a period when I met you? So let's talk about us. So our relationship. I met you when you mm-hmm. left college, you came out to good old Los Angeles to follow your dreams. We were in the same group of friends and I instantly was connected to you, but I also think I was instantly protective of you. <laughs> I also think that there were pieces 
of me. And probably because I just came off of my own show. I was born and raised in the industry. I was young as well. And I knew how it shifted with me. And I knew that there was so much success and greatness that was circling around you. And everyone seemed to always remind us about that as well. And it got to the point where I think I was protective because I just wanted you to be able to just enjoy this groundedness that you already had. You had this starry eyed passion and love for your craft. And I was just like, oh, keep that because that is wonderful. And nobody here really loves it just for the love of the arts. And I love you for loving the art. So let's stay there. Um, yeah, sorry. I went on a little rant there, guys, but we met each other. And what did you go off and do Teen Beach? Or was that before we met each other and the story that you just talked about with your dad? So that so I moved here and I actually turned 21 while I was shooting Teen Beach movie. And then I met you. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing is I think I instantly, if you felt, if you felt that that protective energy towards me, I think I felt the same way because I remember. Mm-hmm. I remember if we had like, if we were on the pool and there was a like at a pool party or if we were out or if we were at dinner or no matter where we were, I felt like we were always like little magnets and that I, I understood that kind of path where you were learning about yourself. Like I felt like I was learning about myself, but I, I never ever felt worried when it, when we were together. Cause no matter what was going on. It felt like there was always some, always someone watching each other's back. And I felt like in that period of time in our lives, a lot of people had motives that we probably weren't even fully aware of and cognizant or could really see or had the tools to understand yet. But I knew that there was an honest friendship there and that I never was really worried when you were around and me and you always made a point to like have each other's backs and watch out for each other. And like, if somebody had bad, had bad intentions or if someone had bad intentions or if they wanted something else that we didn't know, I remember us like always checking in and always giving each other information and always making sure the other person mm-hmm. felt safe. And so I, yeah, I, that's why I felt like, well, if my friend Haley is going to want to go out and party, I want to not only be there to party with her, but I want to know that she's safe doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot, it's, it's wonderful actually to hear you say that you're protective of me. It makes me feel, feel good inside. Um, and I think I haven't necessarily looked back in my own journey back then, you know, and mm-hmm. I think during that period of time, there were a lot of eyes on us and mm-hmm. in a period when we were still just figuring out who we were and like navigating the industry, but navigating our personal lives and being so young and going mm-hmm. through it. And we do have a lot, of, a lot of funny, funny stories of trying to navigate the press and navigate, you know, paparazzi and things like that. And I think we, we did, we had each other's backs, you know, if we went to mm-hmm. a club and we wanted to make sure that even if we weren't at a place of, we had just maybe one or two drinks, we didn't want to be seen. We didn't want people to see us in this vicinity. And we were also probably worried as well that it could hinder us in a certain capacity. So we did mm-hmm. crazy things like walking outside of clubs with shirts on our head and jackets on our head. And if you guys want to Google a really funny, funny video of myself (laughs) falling, leaving a club while Garrett shoves me into a car and jumps in with me. I mean, you're missing a step. You're missing a step. You we, tell the step then. You tell the step. <laughs> we're running out of out of. I don't even know if it's called Bootsy, Bootsy anymore. Bell, yeah. We're walking out of Bootsy's, and we had to. 
hide behind shirts and blazers. And then we could, we had to wait for the car. So we, do you remember us doing a photo shoot hiding around the corner from paparazzi? I mean, there, a, this wasn't like, this wasn't like a one-time thing, guys. This probably happened like four times. I'm not going to lie. But, but the, we first time, doing- the first time was the first night that we met. Actually, we met at the nylon party Yeah, and that's when we went to Bootsy's afterwards. And then as and we then- were hiding from the paparazzi, we both <laughs> got into a dumpster and <laughs> we did a full photo shoot. It was my favorite. Oh my God. I love it. I mean, I think at the end of the day, Hey, Haley, if it makes you feel better, there's a video. I don't know if you were there that night, but I had tried getting into the car, like running away from the paparazzi. And I kept going to the wrong. I went to to different doors four four times. I was like, that's not the door. That's not the door. And then some, one of the guys was like, it's over there. Isn't it so crazy though? You think about like back then we were, I was so fearful. You were so, I mean, I think I probably put the fear onto you as well though, but I was just so fearful of having anybody see me, have a drink of me at all that I used to hide Mm. going out of clubs. But then again, you know, now you were also catching a lot of flack for it. Like I remember people were going out of their way to be, to make this narrative of like, Haley, the party animal. And you were like, I'm not a party animal. I just want to have fun and like be a young person without dealing with thousands of strangers telling me the way that I can do. I I can like explore. We're all going to be young and crazy at some point in our lives. And I personally, I always told myself I'd rather do it and do it the way I want. I want to be done with it. Yeah. I want to be able to do this the way I want and move on from it instead of being this like weird older person who never knew how to move on with their life. But I also think that that's a part of like what the show is so important is because we talk about how you can, you know, live a life and still be celebrated and and succeed. And I think for me, because of the life that I've lived and my family's lived and their Mm -hmm. relationship to alcohol has then related into my relationship with it. And that's a very different story. And sometimes that's not fair. That's not fair to say that, uh, you know, things just travel down because it's in the same family. And I think that Mm -hmm. in that period of time, I was so fearful because I was so protective of my family and so protective of what others may think about that specific thing. Instead Mm -hmm. of just saying, Hey, I went and had a great night with my friends. And, you know, we were actually just running away from the paparazzi because we didn't want to be seen. Like we were just wanted to be us anyway, Mm -hmm. moving on from that, let's go on to uh, a, a bigger and better story. You know, during that period of time, we did lean on each other quite a bit and I loved you for it. And I was so blessed for it. And we had so many amazing memories that I will always hold dear to my heart. But during that time, you know, fast forward to where we are now, you didn't talk about your sexual orientation, nor Mm -hmm. did I want to ask because at the end of the day, I looked at you as you and love is love. And I wasn't really fussed with it. I mean, you were just my best Mm -hmm. friend. It's not, I didn't really care what, you know, what you were doing or who you were doing or what you wanted to do, you know, Mm -hmm. but I am curious now because we didn't talk about it then. And now it's Mm -hmm. a huge part of what you do and how you project into the wonderful work that you're doing. So what was that period like for you not being able to come out to your friends? And was that difficult? Very, it was, it was very mentally damaging to me because I remember it was right around the time, maybe, maybe six or eight months before I booked um, maybe Teen Beach movie or something like that. And I sat down with my, one of my representatives who I'm not with anymore. Mm-hmm. And they, and I remember it was, it was very, it was a very Hollywood sit down. I was at the polo lounge 
it was the afternoon. It was like, you know, and when you're, when you're from Detroit Metro and you've only been here a year, you don't really, you get kind of enamored with like the story and the place, Mm -hmm. right. And the history. And the person said at the time, um, are you gay? And I was like, I think I'm bi. Cause that's, you know, we, I didn't know how to answer that. It was also 10 years ago when if you were out in the industry, people just wouldn't let you audition for things. So they said, okay, well, they're like, right now you come across as gay. So we're going to have to fix that because otherwise you won't, they won't let you in the room. So, mm-hmm. and I, I was like, really? And they said, yeah, because nobody wants to fuck the gay guy. They want to shop with him. So we have to, we have to get you some sex appeal. And I was like, uh, okay. I'm like a really goofy person if you're going to try and sell that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it turned into this rat race of like, how do we, or how do they change, uh, alter me into the thing that's marketable? And so they, yeah. <clears throat> they worked with me on everything from what I was wearing to the way I walked, the way I spoke, the things I would say to people, the auditions I would go in on, they would call casting for notes on how gay I came across and, uh, tell me how to fix it and, uh, how to hide it and what events I should be going to and how I should associate with people and who I can associate with the way I would pose in pictures would be micromanaged. And I think you probably saw a little bit of that from, I'm not going to name names, but I'm sure you saw quite a bit of that actually. Um, yeah. And it was so micromanaged. And I remember always feeling that pressure. And that's also probably another reason I gravitated towards you because I never felt that pressure from you. Mm-hmm. And mind you, I met like my fiance now, Blake, I'd met him six months after I moved here. And mm-hmm. when I had this conversation with that representative, um, I remember back to him and I was like, I think I'm having an identity crisis because I don't know how I'm going to do this. And so we figured out, well, let's, Cause my original, like my actual legal name is Gary. And so we thought, well, what if I just make it a character? What if I make Garrett a character and I protect Gary and I let Garrett do the, the things that make me as Gary feel conflicted. And honestly, the line was really blurred because I would get friends like you, or, you know, I would have all these people that I would start to get close to. And I felt like, again, in my life, which is weird, it feels like this is a common thread where like, just like when I was younger, I was suddenly living two completely different lives again. I would go home and I'd be in a long-term relationship and I would do the the suburban thing and cook dinner and eat ice cream in bed. And then I would go out and I'd have to play this character because if I didn't, I wouldn't have opportunity. I wouldn't have representatives and I wouldn't be able to live to chase my dream because they just didn't want to represent a gay man. They didn't want to have to do the work to get me in the room to prove to people that I'm a good enough actor to book the job. They just didn't want to do it. And they made it very clear. And so I, I would always come home and I would have these like mental distress moments and be like, Blake, I don't know how I'm going to, I feel like just like a fucking asshole. I feel like a liar. I feel like a bad person. Like I'm getting close to these people and I don't have bad intentions, but if I tell them then I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose my representation. I'm going to lose these opportunities. And I just, I dropped out of college. I left my whole life behind. I came here after my, I remember having a garage sale. My, I sold everything I had. My parents were pulling furniture out of their house just so I could have an extra month of rent just so that I could chase my dream. And I was like, I, I can't compromise that because I have one chance 
to do what I want to, to chase this dream. And my family gave up everything and my, and, and let, and let me do this. And so I can't, I, I refuse to compromise that, that, that dream, but I also didn't want to compromise who I was. So it was very mentally damaging and it felt like I was just on, and I had to go to therapy for a few years because I was like, how can I face even people like you, Haley? It was like, how do I face these people after telling them I love them? Like, I really do love my, my friends that I've made. It's just, I'm in a really fucked up position and it's, and if I say anything, then I'm going to have to go back home. Yeah, but Garrett, I love you just as much. I know you do. You, no, I know no, you I, do. But I mean, that's the thing is like the people who have surround you. I don't look at any, I don't look at that period and go, you know, I needed to know. I didn't need to know. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was your, it was your thing. You know, it, whatever was going to be comfortable for you, that's when it should be comfortable for us to have that conversation. And even mm-hmm. though we're having it now, I want you to know, I've loved you every second of every day since, you know, I've seen you, I have the biggest love for you. And I know that during that period of time, you know, you talk about the control. And I think that's where, when I was trying to explain earlier, that's what Mm -hmm. I saw. There was a lot of control around you. Yeah. And that's where the protectiveness I think came in on my end as your friend. And as somebody who else was also in the industry and knowing that the control was just a little bit too push and shove. And it was a little bit Mm -hmm. too made you, it, it, it didn't allow you the freedom just to be, it was like, this is what you have to wear. This is what you have to say. This is what you need to do. And there were also relationships that came into the place as well, you know? And I think there were mm-hmm. a lot of other things that, um, you know, PR wise, what I'm assuming is there were a lot of pushes on that end as well to, to tell that narrative and to tell that story. Mm-hmm. And all I can say is thank you for your honesty. Thank you for finally being able to break away from that and to find your power, however you found it. And that, you know, you are so much better and everybody around you is so welcoming towards that because now you're able to also be a leading force for so many people coming into the industry to know that authenticity sells, even if you're trying to be an actor, you know, authenticity is where life should be. And the Mm -hmm. power comes in for you. There's other tricks of the trade to walk into acting auditions as the character. You know, you can Mm -hmm. walk in as the character, walk out as yourself. You don't need to be walking a life in this PR field as the character. Walk in, you know, there's other tricks the trade if people feel like they only see you as what's being written about you rather than what's going to be booking you the role. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the disconnect is back then it was a different place of like, you know, we had Audrey Brienne on here as well, and I, who's a stylist, and we were talking about how, you know, back then, if we were looking to book a role, we had to start dressing like the role, you know, like mm-hmm. it was very much like our blurred lines of personal and professional. Now, today, it's very separate. And I think that we're all blessed and better for it. Um, I think we're actually still working towards that because I can tell you firsthand, because I've been working to getting into the producing side. And I like I had my first the first movie I got my producing credit on came out during COVID. I'm working on the next thing right now and it's Amazing. shaping up beautifully. But I've had producers who still to this day are saying there is no LGBT actor who has foreign value enough that they can put, attach an, a, a queer star and get funding. They still like there is because they care. So our industry cares so much about foreign value and they'll either cut out gay people's scenes. They'll they'll uh 
they just won't show the movie if they have a queer person in them. They'll like, there's countries uh, that really do impact these things. And uh, really my biggest statement at this point for, I guess that aspect is there we're working really hard towards if we want to make it matter, we have to make the money domestically matter more than it ever has for the community. Because Mm. these producers at the end of the day, these studios and these producers care about making their money back more than anything. If they know they're going to make money back on a star, they don't care where the star comes from. They don't care about their background. They care about making their money back. So if we really want to change the narrative in that regard, and that goes, that's not just for queer people. It's for, it's for, you know, women in film, it's for minorities in film. It's for like, we have to start making it matter more than ever and showing them that they will be getting their money back. Of course. And I think, you know, even just internally to that, you know, how did that develop within yourself? So how did you break away and how did you find, you know, your power back again? It was a lot of, um, there was a, there was a lot of layers to that because they were having internal issues. And then I didn't know about it for about five months. And so I called and was like, Hey, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And one of my point people called me back and said, didn't you, I'm, why are you calling? And I was like, what do you mean? Why haven't I talked to you? And they said, oh, well, I thought you knew about X, Y, and Z. And then I found out I was caught in the middle of something I didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. And then I had one of the heads of the company at the time call me and say, well, I'm not going to make them keep you if they don't want you. So I'll bring you up in the meeting tomorrow. And I was like, well, that's not where somewhere I want to stay. And so luckily my, um, my agents I, I called them and I told them what was going on. And I was like, I, I basically said, look, there's issues going on at this company that I'm just not privy to. I haven't been, a, I'm not a part of this. I, I'm, I just, I'm just looking to get auditions and opportunity. Like I'm, I'm not a crazy person. I just want to do my job and mind my own business. And they total they agreed. And, um, they got the blessing from one of my point people that they could, uh, have me meet with other representation and now I've been with these managers for the last like five, six years. And I love them. Wow. I love them dearly. And they supported wow. my coming out and they were proud of me. And they, when I told them I wanted to come out, they, they wholeheartedly supported it. And there was no, there was no debate on any of the old issues I had. It was like, it was, it was like suddenly someone took the shackles off and was like, just go have fun and do your job well. And we love you. Yeah. I mean, I love that. And I think that that's so important during that period of time when you were sort of on that journey to publicly come out, what was that like for you when you did publicly come out, you know, and how did that inflict on your own sense of worth again, because you finally got a public perception of what you were internally dealing with? Um, it was interesting. Cause I, I did have the discussion that I could have went a couple places and done it. Uh, but ultimately I thought, well, I'd rather just make it my words and put it on, put it on my Instagram and kind of not make a big deal out of it. Cause I just don't, I didn't want to utilize it as some PR stunt. Um, but then it, then world news picked it up. (laughs) I literally, I, I like curated the message and I remember talking to Blake about it too. And he was like, well, why now? And I said, Honestly, I'm finally in a comfortable place in my life where no matter the consequences, no matter anyone's perception, no matter what anyone wants to say about my story, it's not about them. It's about me and it's about my joy and about our love. And I am too happy as me now after going through therapy, after dealing with all the all the things I dealt with. And 
too happy loving you that I, I don't, it's not worth not being able to share. I want to share our joy. I want to share our love. I want to share the, the, this, this life we're building. And it feels like, um, it feels to me, it just feels asinine and silly not to say something. And so I put this message together where it was just a picture and a, a blurb or like a really long paragraph and <laughs> had him spell check it. And then, um, I posted it and I went to the gym. <laughs> Actually, no, I went to go work with my trainer. And after that hour, I turned my phone on and I had hundreds of messages and I had all of these, all these people texting me, all of these links to all these different sites and magazines and things that were like, Garrett Clayton comes out. And I was like, I, I thought it was going to be a lot more low key. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, from there, was that, was it a good response though for yourself? Like to see that and to go through something publicly, because that's, that takes a lot of strength to do something, you know, publicly that has a lot to do with your personal development, you know? Mm -hmm. But I know that I, what I'm hearing is that you knew before you did it, that it was really for you and not mm -hmm. for anybody else, but it was for you. And that's the mm -hmm. beauty of it, isn't it? It was, I mean, it was nice to see that people cared, I guess, but that was like a, that felt like a cherry on a cake. It was just like somebody else went and put it on top of it. Like it, it felt like I made the cake for me because I wanted to sit in bed and eat the whole thing. Cause I didn't really care. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, we all have mental health challenges. We all have mental well-being challenges. Do you think that over those course of the past, like 10 years of your life, were you dealing with any sort of anxiety around your, mm -hmm. your development in yourself? I know you talked a little bit about therapy and what other sort of tools in which, um, did you go down at certain challenging moments in your life? I mean, it really was about fine. I, I think the through line of those like double lives happening or it felt like mirrored moments. Um, it really, it really had to, uh, it manifested itself into me finding a way to be grounded enough that I can be myself anywhere now. And what the biggest thing I learned from, um, from even therapy was just that my biggest issue was that I have always been scared of the bottom dropping out people leaving with, because of that kind of nomadic life I was talking about before, like whether it was me having to go because of, you know, parental situations or friends deciding they didn't want to be in my life anymore. Family members just walking out multiple times or, um, the people removing themselves from the earth. There's so many, I have so many stories of people just leaving or me, me being taken away that I just, started living this life, assuming everybody left and that I had to just be alone and deal with things on my own forever. And so really the biggest thing that I had to learn was that I'm that those things aren't in my control and the people who love me are going to stay there and that's okay. And if people need to go and their, their path continues on without me, that's okay. It's not about me. That's about their path. It's not a reflection of my worth. It's not a reflection of our friendship or our love for each other. Because sometimes people just, whether they move or they're traveling a lot or they're busy at work or they're busy with their families, the nine times out of 10, it isn't a reflection of you. And you can't live your life in fear that everybody's going to leave because it's just, it's not a healthy way to live. You just have to be happy knowing that people who are in your life who love you will be around. And that doesn't mean that they have to be around every day. 
do you feel triggered at all from just, I guess, the development in yourself of having to sort of shed those layers? I mean, when I hear you talk about people leaving, it's like shedding layers, you know, it's like shedding a, a layer of a lizard, you know, like that's how I'm yeah. looking at it in my head. It's like you've shed a layer of, of people that didn't serve you in those moments of your life. And then you're growing into this new, beautiful pattern of being. And, you know, throughout that do you feel like you've been triggered by people that have, may have come in and not known if you could trust them to stay from the beginning? Um, yes and no. I would say it's probably subjective. Some people I feel more weary of than others, whether it's someone being too comfortable too quickly or someone who makes you work so hard just to be their friend that sometimes it's like, do you even want me to be your friend? And then they get mm -hmm. mad at you for not doing it the way they want. And it's like, I, I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to be chill. <laughs> like if I, if anyone has to work way too hard to be your friend, probably shouldn't be your friend. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, I want to end on a high note because you have now created one of the most amazing things you have obviously gone into putting your love for your authenticity and purpose in life into creating Pride House LA. So can you tell us a little bit more about this and how that's inflicted on the positives in your mental well-being journey? Of course. So we, it was in the middle of the pandemic and we could only have, you know, like 10 people that we picked in our life. And so three of those come from Pride House LA. And it wasn't originally that it was because we had gotten on TikTok because we all enjoyed dancing and doing comedy. And I like doing characters and makeup and all that stuff. And um, Molly and Kent, who I did Teen Beach Movie with, and uh, we were like, hey, do, do, why don't we just get together and start dancing? Because normally we'd all been so busy, we hadn't seen each other in forever. And Jekka is married to Molly. And so we started doing these videos and then people recognized us as like a unit after a couple months, cause we had started just getting together once a week and we were like, let's do TikTok Tuesdays and hang out and have fun. And like, we can have a cocktail and dance for a couple hours. Cause it's just, you know, like we're all locked in the house. So we might as well get energy out and have fun with friends. And, um, and then also there was like this weirdly large audience from Teen Beach Movie who at any time I put things up, they'd be like, Teen Beach Movie Team. And the funny part is I don't really make that much Teen Beach content. I just duet things that other people make. <laughs> um, and so and which are lovely. And I, and I really, I feel that from them, but, um, Pride House LA was born because people started recognizing us together and we, we were, it's really is because we're a house, we're a house full of people who are proud of who we are and, and our queerness and our authenticity. And we realized there's no real queer, um, content house online. So we wanted to be the ones to make it. And then two weeks after we made it official, um, Jojo Siwa came out with our group. Like she came out publicly as um, a lesbian and we didn't even know she was planning on doing that. We just made a video with her to this song. You're one of us. But once someone from the house posted it, then the world news picked it up and our uh, Molly, who's close to Jojo text her and was like, are you okay with this? Cause this wasn't our intention. We can tell people that this is not the intent. Like this was just a video for fun. And Jojo said, actually, I was trying to figure out a way to tell you all, but, um, I just felt comfortable doing this with you. And it really set the stage for us to create a safe space for, um, the queer community online. Mm. And we recognize that, um, we are comfortable with ourselves and we have been authentic. And so, people are recognizing that and they're feeling safe 
um, in the spaces we're creating. So now our TikTok is doing pretty well. We we're about to start. Uh, we just signed a deal with Studio Seventy One to launch a podcast. We have a clothing line that just came out. Um, we finished a thing we were doing with Amazon Live for a while. There's a lot, and there's a, a bunch of a slew of amazing things that are coming up for it. And we're really trying to create not even just in in these different apps or online, but also in real real circumstances, we're trying, I mean, we want to make like a YMCA called Pride House. We literally want to, we want to create a safe space that inspires young and old people in the queer community where there's no predatory behavior. It's not about, you know, trying to get anything from anyone. It's literally just creating a safe space where people can be who they are and chase the dreams they want. And we want to help facilitate that. Well, I think you've done that beautifully, but just the life that you have lived as well. And I'm so grateful that I have been able to be a witness of it. And I thank you for all the wonderful work that you do, just living authentically and telling your truth and your story and your story and your life experiences are so valued and the way that you have been able to navigate this and also keep yourself grounded through it as well. And to be where you are today is a beautiful, beautiful thing that you should applaud yourself for. If you were to give advice to anybody who about the importance in living authentic, authentically? Oh, what happened? <laughs> 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 to live an authentic life. Oh my God, help me. What would you say? Um, I would say stop listening to other people and listen to your gut. Always go with your gut, trust your gut. If you're not doing something that you feel right with on the inside, stop doing it. And if you're doing something that feels right on the inside, keep going and put and, and put all your energy into it. It's not about them. It's about you. And that's okay. As I leave every episode, I like to tap into what makes you you. We talk about building our personalized toolboxes. What did you use in your toolbox last time you had a flare up or a challenging moment? Um, deep breaths. Focusing on, so I'll like sit, I close my eyes, I do some deep breaths and then I release responsibility for things that um, aren't mine to hold on to or I get really caught up in people saying or doing negative things towards me. And then I, I, I try and figure out how to fix it or feel better, but I really have to, what I've learned is just, if I feel bad about it, I have to let myself feel bad about it because otherwise mm. it's going to bottle it up. So that's okay for me to feel bad. And then I accept it for a period of time. And then I say, when, you know, when, when that's over, I have to let myself go from it now. Cause I let myself feel it. I let myself acknowledge it and I have to move on from it. I love it. Lastly, what are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your life? These could be words, feelings, sayings, moments, stories, mm. whatever authentically comes to your mind. Keep your head in the stars and your feet on the ground. <laughs> um, keep honest people around you, even if you don't like what they have to say. And lead with love. I love you. Thank you. you so much for, for sharing your vulnerability, your insight, your truth, your love, all of the above. And if anybody is looking to continue this wonderful conversation with this human being that I love so dearly, you can go to his socials at Garrett Clint one, but thank you, Garrett. I love you. I love you too, Haley. 
And if you're looking to continue this conversation around living an unapologetically authentic lifestyle, then this podcast is just for you. Our goal is to build a community in which you feel empowered to celebrate you by hearing inspiring stories of ownership to self, to always remember to lead with the three M's, that's mindfulness, movement, and mental engagement. You've got this, and we're here to support you along the way. So be sure to subscribe and download so you don't miss an episode. It's okay to not be okay in your journey to become grounded in the power of you. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Haley Hasselhoff, Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan Dematty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horinigay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.